Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Well, how many of you love Jesus? Come on. Wherever you're at, just, I love Jesus. I do. And how many know that the scriptures tell us that God offers peace and that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? You believe that? Well, even in the midst of all of our belief, we we believe in Jesus. We know the Word tells us that He's the Prince of Peace. We can still deal with anxiety. And today I want to talk about that anxious emotion as we continue our series, Emotions. Some people have called 2020 the longest year in their lifetime. Some have said it's the longest year in history. It certainly feels like it. It's like several years rolled into one. 2020, no doubt, will become an adjective in the future. Hey, don't go 2020 on me. You're sounding like 2020, or you're acting 2020 right now. And add to that the virus economic fears, racial tensions, political division, biased news, conspiracy theories, kids on Zoom going to school, and people starting to stockpile food and toilet paper. Yes, that's right. October 13, 2020, USA Today. Like we're going into quarantine, Americans plan to stockpile food this fall over fears of COVID-19 surge and election unrest. It's a headline. And in Vermont, a lady by the name of Leslin Hall says her and her husband plan to stock up on groceries later this month. In the back of their mind are concerns about disruptions in food supply chain. And if uh, there's another COVID-19 surge, as well as a potential for unrest surrounding the November 3rd presidential election. Now, I'm not advocating that you go out and stock up on toilet paper. But in some of our local stores, they're telling me people are doing it. I wonder why. And other people are saying they're stockpiling beans and peanut butter and non-perishable items. Anxiety is high. And according to the National Center for Health, contrasted to the emotional state of people in July of 2019 compared to July of 2020, what a difference a year makes. According to that study, in July 2019, 8.2% of adults showed signs of anxiety disorder. 8.2%. Fast forward one year, and in July of 2020, over 36% of adults showed signs of anxiety disorder. Now, scholars have studied, and we saw this last week, that Jesus Christ exemplified over 39 different emotions while he was here on earth. Anxiety can be psychological, it can be emotional, it can be situational, it can even be spiritual. Now, I've said this before, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a psychologist, I'm a pastor. I tend to go on the spiritual side of things. But I also believe in a holistic approach. You may need to go to a doctor if you're dealing with anxiety. You may need to have somebody give you some help as far as a dietitian is concerned. 
and the food intake that you have and the kinds of food you eat. You may need a trainer to help you with your exercise. You may need somebody to prescribe some vitamins or minerals in your diet. You may need some medicine or some supplements medically that will help you with your anxiety. But whatever it is, we look at a holistic kind of approach. You know, the Bible tells us in the Psalms about being real and raw and honest with God and that there are times where we are anxious. Of course, Paul says be anxious for nothing, and yet sometimes we're anxious over nothing. You know, this last week in the Psalm study, uh, every Tuesday night we're in a different Psalm, and we looked at Psalm 56, where David says, man, they are twisting my words. They're attacking me from all sides. They're out to get me. And he stopped and he said, God, have mercy on me. And then he gave praise to God for the word of God. He thanked him for the scriptures. Well, there's a key there for us. And then he said, I will sacrificially offer my thanksgiving to you. I may not feel like giving thanks, but I will do it sacrificially. It becomes a thank offering. It's something from his soul that he offers to God in the midst of a time where he doesn't feel very thankful. So we're going to look today at how Jesus dealt with anxiety. Now, when you think about Jesus, the Prince of Peace, you don't think about him being anxious, but how did he respond to anxiety? Because he was anxious. We're going to see that today from Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you want to open to Mark, chapter 14. If you want to follow along with our notes, you can open up a different tab on your computer, uh, and you can go to uh, mylfc.com resources, and you'll see the outline today as well. If not, just grab a piece of paper and, and take down some notes. Because here's the first thing I want you to see. Whenever anxiety rose up, Jesus talked back. He didn't let anxiety talk to him, and he became a listener. But no, he spoke up, and he talked back to anxiety. So in Mark 14, we're going to see a couple things, but let me give you the first one. Talk to true and tested and trusted friends. Talk to true and tested and trusted friends. It's really wise to talk to godly spiritual people who have stuck by you through thick and through thin. It's easy for people to get frustrated and run away. It's easy for people to have a misunderstanding in a relationship and say, I'm out. But those that have stuck with you and stuck by you through thick and thin, they are true and tested and trusted friends. Jesus had a group like that. It was his small group. It was the disciples around him, his closest teammates. Judas was one of the 12, and he'd slipped away to go and betray Jesus. But Jesus knew the hurt of the anxiety that would come his way. And he went with three friends to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Mark 14 records in verse 32 and 33, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John. This was his small circle of three amongst the circle of 12. He took Peter, James, and John, John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed 
and troubled. The Son of God, Jesus, perfect, never sinned, was deeply distressed and troubled. The Message Bible reads this way, Mark 14, 33. He plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. Ever been there? You may be there now. He sank into a dark sinkhole. Now, a sinkhole is a hole that just, well, it keeps sinking. And it was a place where Jesus was. Jesus was God in the flesh, and he knew the horror of what was going to come. He was going to take on the sin of all humanity as he went to the cross. The one who never knew sin. The one who never felt any guilt or shame. He had no reason. He'd never done anything wrong. He'd never violated God in the least. He never broke a commandment. And he was anticipating the moment where all the sins of all mankind, from Adam to the last human being, would be placed upon him. And he felt that. Can you imagine what it must have felt like? And he also knew that the holiness that he had was going to become filthiness. His righteousness would become unrighteousness in that moment as he takes on all the sin and the consequences of sin on himself. That's why when we preach that Jesus conquered death, we know the wages of sin is death, and he took death on himself. He who knew no death took death on himself and was literally dead for three days from Good Friday until Easter, of course. It would be that time where Jesus knew he would cry out, My God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? And we know that God couldn't look upon his perfect son. He couldn't look upon himself, part of the Trinity, in the flesh and see sin there and see a marred life. Couldn't do it. So he backs away from his own son. He looked away for a moment. So how are you? How are you doing? Jesus was overwhelmed in this moment. And I know some of you are overwhelmed, and I get it. You know, I love Jesus. I love his word. I love the church. I love Lompoc, you know. And I felt some stress and anxiety during this season as well. And there have been some who said, hey, pastor, don't worry. You can count on me. And I haven't heard a word from them. Maybe you're there. I've had other people in the community say, hey, I know your church. You know, you're not able to meet right now. We've got this or we've got that. We can do this for you. Don't worry, pastor. Called them back. They're nowhere to be found. I think maybe they just moved off the planet somewhere. I have no idea. Now, maybe that's happened to you where some of your dear friends said, you can count on me, don't worry, I'll help you. Hey, mom, I'll help you with your Zoom and with your kids. And they're nowhere to be found. So Jesus now takes Peter, James, and John, three true, tested, trusted friends, or so he thinks. And he moves away with them into this garden. And Jesus, very, very refreshing to hear his honesty where he says this in Mark 14, 34, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Now, this phrase, my soul overwhelmed with sorrow, 
I looked that up in several dictionaries, looking, of course, from the Greek text. And wherever it's used in Scripture, here's what it means. I'm furious. I'm violently angry. I'm anxious or depressed. I am moved to the point of dying. Now, Jesus knew he would die, but the emotion here moves him to a point of, I'm at the end of my life. Not just because of the cross, though he knew that. I'm at the end of my life. Let me read some words again. I'm furious. I'm angry. I'm anxious. I'm violently angry. I'm depressed. I'm discouraged to the point of death. In other words, I ache so much on the inside, I don't know if I can even survive this moment. That's what Jesus is saying here. Would you please just stay here? He says to his friends. Would you just keep watch? I need you more than I can describe. He talked to his friends. He looked in their eyes, no doubt, and said, guys, pray with me. Pray for me. I'm battling here. There's anxiety in my soul. I'm violently angry. Maybe you're there. Let me tell you something that you may not think about right now. Some of us have added anxiety because we lack community. And this whole thing about social distancing, I've called it personal distancing because I believe when we say we're going to social distance, it almost gives us rights to just step back and not be connected with people. Now, again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. But I think there's grave consequences in people not being able to be in community. And of course, you can do it on the phone. You can do it over FaceTime. You can do it on Zoom. Or at church on Sunday, we have the outdoor service. Uh, there's, 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 there's ways to still connect with people at a distance. You can wear your mask. But I think too much disconnection from community raises the level of, of anxiety. You can disagree with me and you can be wrong. <laughs> But I really believe that. And Jesus models for us that he needed to have a support system. There are many Christians today who don't have one. Some have shared with me that they had some friends, but those friends have pulled away in their own pain or relational isolation. And I think when we look back at 2020 and studies are done, we will see that there has been some deep effects upon our children because they couldn't be together. Think about it. Seven months that some kids haven't been together with other kids playing. Now, I get the virus, and I do not minimize the virus. I wear my mask outside. We wear our masks on Sunday here, even outdoors. We've been criticized for wearing masks outdoor in church, but we want to be a safe place for people and take people's health and safety seriously. We're still doing online church. Why? Because we want to respect your decision to remain online. But hear my heart. We need to make sure we understand that we're connecting with people. Look at the book of Acts. The early church was birthed in worship. The early church was birthed in fellowship and in community. And I love what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20. Here's his promise. 
He said, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. It's almost like he endorses community. When you get together, two of you, in my name, I'm showing up. I'm showing up. I'm going to be there with you. So Jesus, the sinless son of God, says to his friends, I need you. And he talks to them and he says, this is crushing for me. Let me give you the second thing. Not only do we need to talk to tested, true, and trusted friends, but we need to talk to God who is trustworthy. Talk to God who is trustworthy. Now catch this. Uh, no doubt you've driven your car at some point. Uh, when you put your key in the ignition and you turn it on, all the lights come on on the dash. Of course, newer cars. But there's this one thing called the check engine light. <laughs> you ever had that come on in your car, check engine or check the oil? Now, the light is not the problem. If you think it's the problem, you can go to the trunk of your car or the back of your SUV and you can rummage around till you find that tire iron or that lug wrench, and you can take that wrench and beat up the check engine light. If you hit this long enough, I promise you, it will go out. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that it's taking care of the problem. The light comes on to indicate there's a problem somewhere else. See, when anxiety rises in your heart, anxiety is like a check engine light or a low oil pressure light to let you know something is wrong inside your soul. Something is wrong inside your heart. See, anxiety is a signal alerting you that it's time to pray. It's time to talk to God. It's time to tell him what's on your heart. Paul the Apostle in Philippians 4, you may remember these words. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, you, you take your request to God. In everything you pray, in every situation you pray. In other words, if it's big enough to worry about, if it's big enough to have anxiety over, a, a warning light, it's big enough to pray about. What's on your mind? What's on your heart? Take it to God. Pray about it. If you're worried about your marriage, pray for your marriage. If you're worried about the economy, pray about the economy. If you're worried about election, pray about the election. If you're worried about your job, pray for your job. If you're worried about your church, pray for your church. If you're worried about the schools and the school district, pray for the schools. If you're worried about, well, pray, pray. And if you're going to pray, why worry? And if you're going to worry, then, then why pray? If you're worried about getting sick, then pray about it. If you're worried, pray. If something is on your mind, it's on God's heart. If something is on your mind, it's on God's heart. If something's on your heart, it's on God's heart. What is anxiety? It's signaling you that it's time to connect with God. Mark 14, 35 and 36, going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, God, my dad, if there's any way for this to change, if there's anything, well, everything's possible for you, God. 
Take this cup from me, this, this cup of death. Is there another way? I don't want to suffer this way. Now, we can all understand Jesus not wanting to go to the cross. I mean, the flesh part of him said, man, this is unbearable. The flesh part of him said, this is going to be too much taking on the sins of all mankind. But what did he do with the emotion of anxiety? He talked to his friends and he talked to God about it. Father, if there's any way, and he's real and he's raw and he's honest. I love what Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Just let him have it because God cares. You might just cry out to God, I don't, I don't know how and I don't know what, and I don't know if I can take this anymore, God, and be real and raw and honest. See, God welcomes your honesty. And Jesus modeled it for us. He's honest even in front of Peter, James, and John when he cries out, when he falls down on the ground. There's something very healing about telling God when you're afraid, when you're doubting, when you don't understand, when you just don't seem like you can take it anymore. And as we've been studying in the Psalms, one thing over and over again, we have a permission to be honest to be honest with God. How often do Christians kind of, well, I don't want to say they lie, but uh, they kind of candy coat the truth. How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Hanging in there. Praise the Lord. You know, think, things are going well when they're not. Now, I don't uh, submit to you that you should just tell everybody how you're doing all the time. I mean, everybody will run away from you. When you're talking to trusted friends and they ask you the question, how are you really doing? Well, getting by, making it through, God's with me, praise the Lord, everything's just fine. I mean, really? It's okay. And I want to tell you, as a pastor who really, really, really enjoys community, it's okay not to be okay. And it's okay to be honest with your feelings. So we talk honestly with God. And I think the third thing is we need to talk to your feelings about your faith. Talk to your feelings about your faith. We all talk to ourselves. We've shared this many times. And some of our talk is not very positive. It's pretty negative. Don't do that. Don't do that when people say this. Well, just go with your feeling. Follow your heart. Go with your gut. And oftentimes our heart our feelings, our gut, aren't truthful, aren't righteous, aren't faith-filled. You see, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, his feeling is, his heart is, I don't want to go to the cross. His gut is, I don't want to die for mankind. But as we see later, he submits to God's will and purpose. I love the fact we see the struggle between Jesus the deity, God, the divine, and Jesus the man, the flesh, the body of Jesus. We, we see the wrestle, and God allows us to see that through the power of the Holy Spirit and through these words. Could you imagine if somebody said, well, I have work to do. I don't feel like it. No work would get done. The gas gauge is on E, but I don't feel like putting gas in the car, but I feel like taking a drive. You have a problem. You're going to run out of gas. 
We can't run on our feelings or we'll be in trouble. See, you are not your feelings. Your feelings are real and your feelings are important, but your feelings are not always true. If we ran our life by feelings, we would have problems, and you and I both know that to be true. Now, Mark 14, 36. Abba, Father, he said, everything's possible for you. Take this cup from me. That's what he was feeling. But he speaks to his feelings with faith in this next line, yet not what I will or what I desire or what I feel, but what you will, Lord. I surrender and submit myself to your Lordship. Sometimes we have to tell our feelings, stop feeling. We have to tell our thinking, stop thinking like that. See, we need to align our faith with God's Word, and we need to align our feelings with our faith in God's Word. Always say this to your feelings. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> and take yourself back to the truth of the Scriptures. Here's what the, tru here's what's the truth is. Although I feel it, it may not be true. And you have to talk to your feelings. Here's what the truth is. Here's what the truth is. What did Jesus do? He talked to his friends. What did Jesus do? He talked to his father. What did Jesus do? He talked to his feelings. His emotion of anxiety was something that was overcome as he talked to his friends, as he talked to his father, and as he talked to his feelings. Could this not be a great lesson for us to follow this pattern as well? When he's hanging on the cross, he overcame his feelings there too. He's hanging on the cross and the creation around him that he was a part of create, creating was mocking him, was spitting upon him, was saying, Hail, King of the Jews, in mockery. God in the flesh, Jesus looked up to his father and overcame his feelings. He said, Father, forgive them. They do not even know what they are doing. And as he dies, he gives up his life. No one took it from him. He gave it up willingly. He followed the will of God. And he said those great words, it is finished. What Jesus did worked. How do we deal with anxiety? Well, Jesus modeled for us. True and trusted and tested friends speaking right to God himself, and talking to your own feelings. It is the peace of God, not your peace. It's not the peace that the world gives. It's the peace of God that comes from Jesus Christ. This means that you can't fabricate your own peace, and the world can't give it to you, and the world can't take it away. Huh. What's the greatest thing that I can offer you today? It's Jesus. His name is Jesus, and the very mention of his name shatters the darkness. It calms our soul, and when I say Jesus, even a whisper breaks through my doubting. His name is Jesus. No storm God won't bring you through. No obstacle God won't help you overcome. No enemy that God won't defeat, and no heartache 
that God can't heal, and no anxiety that God won't calm. As we come to the end of this message, I, I don't know where you are when you're watching this, if you're sitting with someone or you're eating cereal or breakfast or maybe you're driving in a car, maybe you're sitting in the backyard. But, but if it's possible, would, would, would you take your hands just, just like mine? And no doubt you've heard me share this many, many times. But this is really the posture of hands to receive. And this is the posture of hands to bless. We, we, we bless this way. We bless God this way. And we receive from God this way. And with your hands cupped as though you're receiving... Would you ask God to give you his peace today? The peace of Christ. And with your hands this way, would you, would you take your anxiety and your concerns and cast them on God? Just give it to him. Lord, here's everything that I'm feeling right now. Here's what I'm facing right now. I need your healing touch. I need you to erase memories. I need you to help me not to hold a grudge. I need to help you, have you help me Heal some hurt in my heart, so I give it to you, Lord. Let this be a, a, a pushing or a pressing posture. And then, and then take your hands like this and say, God, I invite your peace to come. And Lord, that's my prayer today for these dear people. That your presence would be with us, that your peace would come. We can relate, some of us, to the garden experience where you felt like you couldn't even go another step. And you fell down among your friends and before your father. And you asked if there'd be any other way. But Lord, you showed us to follow the will of God. May we receive your will for our lives. May your will be done. May your kingdom come inside of our lives, just as it is in heaven. We receive today your peace. And I would bless you today in the name of the Lord, that you would receive the peace of Christ over all anxiety, over all fear, and that his calmness would come into your life. His peace would fill you. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you this day to say, God, may your son Jesus be my Savior. Jesus, I believe you died on that cross for me. That moment you almost couldn't take on all of the sin of humanity. You took mine and you died in my place. I receive you, I believe you, and I will follow you. It's the greatest decision, the most eternal decision you could ever make. And so I bless you today in the name of the Lord. Be saved, be well, be healed, and be at peace because God is with you. Thank you so much for being a part of this morning. And I am just grateful that I've been able to share God's word with you. Hope it's been beneficial. And remember, God is on your side. Don't be afraid to call upon him. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.